How are you doing? Good, how are you? I'm good. Long time no see. I know, Couple. when's the last time I saw you? At well, your cousin's wedding? Bea's wedding, yeah. Bea's wedding, yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, feel like, I feel like I'm finally in San Diego. That's good. If that makes sense. Yeah. Because I've been in Southern California for like two years, yeah. but haven't been in San Diego, so. so. Wait, Southern California, so where were you before? Um, I was in North County. Which is, okay. So Escondido. You, yeah, Escondido. Yeah, for about a year. And then before that was Bangkok. Okay. So I think I met yeah. you kind of at the start of my journey in yeah. SoCal. Like three months of you living in San Diego Probably. was when I met you yeah. around that time? Yeah. Yeah. It's a while yeah. ago. It was a while ago. So wait, you've been here for two years? Yeah. Oh my I gosh. I just passed my two-year mark. July was two years. Wow, it's been a while. I know. That's crazy. I can't believe it. I can't say I'm by. new to San Diego anymore. <laughs> yeah. Like play dumb because I'm not that new. So. We'll but new to this area. Yeah. 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 Well, two years is two years is long, relatively. But I mean, it took me a while mm. <laughs> to get really acquainted and rooted in San Diego. How long did it take you? I would say five years. Okay. To truly say four years. Let's say give or take, four years that I truly could say that I'm familiar with San Diego. Okay. You know, and it depends on how much do I go out. It depends on how much I connect with community. But yeah. I realized that you really don't get to know a city unless you connect with a community. Yeah. So. So that makes me feel a little bit better. Which is, you know, I bet that you're doing a bunch of things, especially with your Courageous Kitchen that you're doing. So. But before I get into that, <laughs> sure. I'm super curious because I know you love cooking. Mm -hmm. So I wonder how your day looks like. Every day? Every day. Do you cook every day? Do you cook your breakfast? Like, are you the type of person that cooks for other people and cooks for yourself or just for um, other people only? <laughs> yeah. I cook about six days a week. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And usually on my off day, I'll just kind of eat crap. So yeah. it might be like, I want to order pizza or, yeah. or go out to eat to a place I like. Um, but I've been trying to wake up early. Okay. I know, like this is a, you know, a common sentiment, I it guess, is. of like other entrepreneurs oh, and yeah. freelancers. But just starting my day early, um, six-ish. Same here. <laughs> yeah, it's my a great goal. time before other people, you know, before everyone else is awake. Yeah. And then I used to... Sometimes I still get in the habit of checking my emails right away, my phone, my yeah. text messages. Yeah. But I'm trying really hard not to do that. Mm. Um, I used to just jump into work and yeah. not even let myself wake up. Yeah. And I realized how unhealthy that was yeah. for myself, but even for my really personal relationships. Yeah. yeah. And so um, a friend, she told me, you know, 
try like the 20-20-20 rule. So that's, it equals up to an hour, but like spend 20 minutes, you know, meditating or doing yoga or having your coffee. Um, maybe just spend a full hour doing something other than work mm. to let yourself wake up, yeah. you know, kind of relax a little bit and like just be energized for the day. Yeah. Because if you go straight into work, then you're like miserable for the rest of the day. You feel yeah. like you haven't got a break. Yeah. Um, so mornings I'll usually get up slowly and sometimes, you know, check messages, but try not to answer anything mm. and then make sure I brush my teeth before I do anything awesome. and then have coffee Yep. and mm. meditate or yoga yeah. or, um, I've been journaling quite a bit this year Yeah. and it's mostly like at the minimum, just like writing five things I'm grateful for. That's awesome. Just gratitude. Yeah, that's good. You know, sometimes it ends up being more. Yeah. Um, but trying to journal at least almost every day. Yeah. And prayer. And then by that time, it's already, you know, it's already been an hour. Yeah. So then by seven, maybe eight o'clock, I'm ready to work. Yeah. Sounds about, sounds about right. It's something that I actually wanted to achieve. Mm -hmm. You know, because before I had the part-time job that I now have, uh, that was my goal that I wanted to to get to, to wake up at six, do workout, and basically like what you're saying, being able to recognize that I'm awake yep. and not just jumping, even working out. Like I don't want to jump right into working out. No. And so one of the things that kind of neutralizes my morning is waking up and making coffee right away because mm. for me coffee is therapeutic because i make my own coffee at home so i grind it and all that and then as i do that you know i just kind of meditate you know yeah. i just kind of recognize that i'm alive i do breathing exercise as i do it i listen i pray as i do it and then you know maybe read a little bit mm -hmm. and then after that i maybe do workout and stuff like that but i haven't been working out in a long time it's so it's hard yeah you know it's hard no. to like find the motivation yeah especially by yourself yeah but yeah just like having that routine and that process in the morning yeah let your brain wake up let your yeah. you know let your body wake up it's really important i think it's really helped yeah so yoga is one of those things too i'm, I'm pretty sure it's helpful because stretching is really good for you so yeah yeah. yoga sometimes i'll dance you That's know awesome. as long as people don't see me <laughs> in the shower <laughs> I'm, I'm not a gym person i really dislike the gym mm, okay so i try to find other ways to yeah. exercise and keep my yeah. heart moving and um i just heard something i think it was on a podcast but they were talking about how it's not proven that if you work out intensely every day that you're going to live longer or necessarily mm. healthier you just have yeah. to keep moving every 20 minutes That's true. just keep active it's so. like the 2020 rule. Yeah. I like that. There you go. I like that. And I learned something. Do yeah. 20 minutes of something and then get up and move around. That's good. Just keep active and don't That's be good. sedentary. Yeah, my, my lifestyle is sedentary lifestyle. And I, you know, I've never actually talked to people about this kind of stuff. And now that I'm doing it, everyone's saying different things that works for them. Mm. And so the 2020 is actually a very interesting thing for me because I have a problem with taking breaks in between. I would just work, you know, doing yeah. videos, editing and whatnot. My, my mental capacity is able to do as much until I'm done. And so I feel guilty taking breaks if I'm not done with what I'm doing. 
you know and when i'm done i just feel super exhausted mm -hmm. but that's when i reward myself to do something that's completely utterly not good for me it's either i watch a movie or i eat junk or <laughs> then you, you know, end up binging yeah i end up binging because i feel like oh i i needed that rest and you know like I deserve this instead of taking little breaks throughout the day yeah. but like even that's hard on your eyes too yeah oh Just yeah straining you know for your eyesight so um yeah my husband he works a lot in a lab and he takes eye breaks what, so, what does that look like basically because he's like staring into microscopes yeah. um in a dark room yeah things like that his company forces them all to take eye breaks so it's like every 30 minutes because it's so straining on their eyes that they have to leave the room, they have to just get look air, look around, flex your oh. eye muscles. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah, I mean, it's something so small, right, that we take for granted. And I'm the same yeah. way, like, this is why my shoulder is kind of messed up because I'm used to years of looking down at my laptop. Yeah. You know, um, but things like standing up and working That's instead, yeah. you know, walking around and taking phone calls. Yeah. So anything to kind of keep your mind and your body activated yeah. yeah so i bet you have a standing table i don't even have a desk okay because i work from home okay um i kind of work from the countertop when i can it's actually pretty good yeah it's actually good to have a variation so sometimes you know when you get tired you can sit down and you adjust your desk to be because there's tables that you de mm -hmm. are now designed to be a standing table yeah but you know it's just good I'm learning a lot from this because for me, it's, I think for me, the norm is to sit down when you work, Yes. you know, and suddenly when you go to co-working, co-working spaces and the, the place that I, I work at is more of a brokerage where they have, you know, kind of a lounge area and I see realtors where they stand, <laughs> they work standing, standing up. Yeah. yeah. And then they walk around when they make a phone call, they don't just sit down. Everyone's different in, in the office, you know, in the co-work space. But when I see people do that, it's, it's like, I kind of want to do that, but everything was designed to be sitting down so it's so little, why don't you do it because you feel guilty uh for me i the reason why i don't do it is because it's either there's no space to do it or there's nothing structured to do it um and especially with the kind of job that i have everything is connected to wires uh, <laughs> and yeah. so it's kind of difficult to you know you can't like, just be mobile yeah I can't just be mobile, so. But that's where the 20, you know, even yeah. just every 20, every 30 minutes, just taking yeah. a break. Yeah. Five minutes stretching. Yeah. Drinking water. Yeah. yeah. It's really good. I think the part that I do feel guilty, though, is that, not, again, not everybody thinks that way. And so I feel like my, you know, I feel like somebody who's overseeing me would think that, oh, you're taking too many breaks, you know, why, why are you doing that, you know, can you just get it done? So, because everybody doesn't think that way. Yes. So, you know, it's different, but as an entrepreneur like you, I think that's very beneficial because nobody's... No one's telling me what to do. Yeah. <laughs> Which you know, is the beauty so, of it. Yeah. And, and it's taken a long time to get to this point, and it's yeah. not easy. Every day, Yeah. I'm thinking like, what the hell am I doing? Yeah. Right. And I think that's common for many entrepreneurs, um, especially when you, you're not in a typical work setting. Yeah. When you don't have colleagues next to you, you yeah. don't have a you don't have to clock in. Yeah. There's no one really to hold you accountable except for yourself. Yeah. Um, which is great, but it's also really hard. You yeah. know, then you kind of become reclusive. Yeah. And then you're missing out on those social connections. Yeah. Uh, which is something that we've talked about before. It's like. Yeah, I'm doing what I want, 
but I also am missing out on this whole other aspect of working in a yeah. in an office environment or yeah. meeting people. Yeah. Have you ever worked at a co-work space or coffee shops or? Yeah, I used to work at co-working uh, coffee shops a lot, especially when I was living in Esco, yeah. just because I couldn't work from home. Yeah. Um, and now I'm more productive in coffee shops or co-working spaces yeah. than home because at home I'm like, oh, I need to do laundry. I need to do dishes, you I need distracted. to cook, I need, yeah. yeah. So much more productive. However, um, the reason, well, I was spending too much money doing that yeah but also the reason why i chose to live in this space was because it has all this open space that i can work yeah. from yeah on this property by the pool by the, by pool, the tree yeah <laughs> uh in the business center yeah. you know clubhouse yeah there's a business center there's a business that's, center that's awesome. so i can literally have meet clients here i can wow. have meetings i host classes that's awesome kind of don't have to leave home yeah. which is dangerous too yeah <laughs> yeah um, but yeah, that's the struggle of the entrepreneur life. And you saying all of these and vocalizing them actually sobers me a little bit because I, for a long time, I feel like I'm alone. Mm. You know, like, oh, I'm the only one struggling with sleep. I'm the only one struggling with routine. I'm the only one struggling with, you know, I'm not in a nine to five job, so nothing's structured for me. Mm -hmm. And I have to be accountable and disciplined to structure my day. Yeah. You know, and talking with other entrepreneurs and people that think in that way, and living this kind of lifestyle, you realize that, oh, there's so many tools out there and you're not alone because mm -hmm. I'm totally in the same boat. And I think that we see a lot of that. I mean, I guess it's not just in San Diego, in all other places. That's why the birth of co-working spaces came yeah. was that there's a lot of entrepreneurs that needed a community that holds them accountable and gives them tools. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of co-work spaces that provides you tools to be productive, to you know to prospect and do a lot of things to help you grow your business and i think that's super sweet to have. Yeah, yeah i've i've visited probably a dozen co-working spaces there's a lot up north too yeah yeah they're they're really cool i mean even the aesthetic you know it's like yeah. it's super instagrammable yeah. <laughs> um, it's like a trendy thing now yeah. right yeah but i can't justify spending the money on it yeah when i have a space at home that that's i can true. use so once in a while, maybe like once a week, I'll go to one of my favorite coffee shops and then work from there. Yeah. Um, but I try to like make coffee at home yeah. because yeah. it was getting to the point where every day I'd be like, okay, I just spent $12 on a coffee and a croissant, right? Yeah. But then if you do that five time, five it's days a, a week. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And then gas to get there. Yeah. It ends up being a lot. So um, I've had to find my routine, what works for me. And I know that I'm really productive only certain hours of the day so having said that it's like between 7 a.m and like noon or one yeah. i know that's when i can be most productive but like pretty much after one o'clock you're done i'm yeah. useless wow so i know i can like maximize those hours like okay yeah. can i get as much done as i need to in those hours and yeah. then i can go about the rest of my day yeah have you started doing the 2020 20 yeah um well it's not necessarily it is it equals up to one hour of doing something before work mm -hmm. but it's not necessarily 20 minutes of one activity so i don't time 
mm-hmm. the activity. It's just 20 minutes break in between, sort of, or not? No, not um, it's just an hour of doing something before I start working. Got it. And then I just take, I pretty much take breaks whenever I want. Yeah. So I might be like, you know, head deep into emails, and then I'm like, oh, I just need to get up. Yeah. It's like, it's been three hours. Or take a call, or, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or make some food. Usually around 11, between 11 and 12, that's when I start to get hungry. The yeah. coffee will kind of... Wear off. Yeah, yeah, wear off, and then we're like, oh, I, I haven't eaten yet. Yeah. And um, I try to only eat between, like, you know, I think you've talked about this on one of your, your other podcasts, the yeah. intermittent fasting. Yeah. So I'm not really, like, intentional about intermittent fasting. It's more of I just only eat between, like, the hours of 11 and yeah. 7. Yeah. Or 11 and, you know, anything, like, after 7 is kind of too late for me. Yeah. yeah. So that's when I start to get really hungry. But I don't, like... I don't punish myself for yeah, no, yeah, eating true. outside of that. Yeah. And I think a lot of people unintentionally does intermittent fasting just because of the lifestyle, lifestyle. that they, ha- right. they have. But when I was doing that before, I was working out. Mm. And it was beneficial for me because the workout that I do was it's prescribed for you to do intermittent fasting and then binge eating. Because oh, I was trying okay. to kind of have, I don't know, quote unquote, lean muscles and bulk a little yeah. bit and not gaining too much fat because the intermittent fasting helps to burn as much fat that you have. Okay. Quote unquote. That's, See, I that's didn't even know any of that. Yeah. I don't know so, what the rules are around yeah. it. I just know so, I shouldn't eat after this time <laughs> yeah. because, yeah, two hours before bed, you know, you really need yeah. to let it digest. Yeah. And a lot of people, you know, I don't want to go, go off track. A lot of people that does keto do um, mm. intermittent fasting. So. Keto is but, too hard for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't do it. Yeah. It's crazy. But, you know, since you mentioned that you cook six days a week, mm-hmm. um, six days? Yeah, six days a week. What do you cook specifically and who do you cook for? Um, I cook for myself and my husband. Okay. So he gets a homemade lunch at work every That's single awesome. day. He's uh, one of those like, what'd you have for the day? Well, <laughs> Coworkers are like. <laughs> he's not Asian, right? Teasing and, him. <laughs> and so he tells me that it's pretty much only his Asian coworkers yeah, that bring, have homemade meals every day. Yeah. So he's like, I feel like I'm one of the, the Asian guys. <laughs> um, because I normally, I mean, the majority of the food I cook is Asian food. Asian food, yeah. So I would say I cook a lot of Thai and... Yeah. Lao and Vietnamese. Okay. Um, those are probably my one of most comfortable cooking. Yeah. And then, you know, other days it can be totally random. So like today I made chicken and naan and chickpeas like curry. So it was a little bit like <laughs> really kind of Indian-ish. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I just try different things. I get bored with, with the same type the of same. Dish. I mean, I have certain things in rotation, right? Yeah. But like two days in a row, three days in a row. I yeah. can't really do it where some meal prep is a little bit hard for me. Okay. Where okay. my husband, he'll eat the same thing every day for five days and not complain. Wow. And I'm that's like, actually yeah, no. helpful for you then. <laughs> so. Helpful, but I get bored of it. I see. I see. So yeah. I try to like mix it up and sometimes try to be creative, but there are other days where I'm just really yeah. tired. Um, but I would say 95% of my cooking is from scratch, that's, that's which is also a lot of a lot, a lot of work. Of, yeah, a lot of work and time. Yeah, yeah. But um, I show my love through food. That's, that's good. Yeah. So I 
I like to feed people. Mm -hmm. I like to share food. I like yeah. to host. And yeah. I would say that that's um, one of my gifts. That's awesome. Is feeding people. Yeah. Feeding people and your husband. <laughs> and my husband. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. But since you mentioned that typically you start, you know, your goal is to wake up at six and you start around seven, you know, that's part of you trying to wake yourself up and, you know, get into the groove. Is cooking part of that period until 12? And you said after 12, you kind of just feel like you're useless. Not really. So my cooking okay. uh, for the day, so like breakfast, lunch, I'm usually not cooking okay. anything big. It's kind okay. of either leftovers or, yeah. you know, a bagel okay. um, and fruit. And then dinner, I'll usually... I'm always thinking about my next meal. What's that? I always think about my next meal. After you cook something or before uh, you cook? Just in general. I'm like, oh, what am I going to have for dinner today? And I kind of like plan out like yeah. grocery shopping. Like, okay, yeah. this is what I'll make. So um, probably around three-ish or four, that's when I'll start dinner prep. Got it. Because my husband gets home at like around 6, 6.30. Yeah. And dinner is always done by then usually. Because yeah. um, you cook it ahead of time cook it ahead yeah. of time and then by 7 we're eating you know together and by 7:30 yeah. we're done. Yeah. So yeah. I like to have it pretty early. Yeah. But I like to also take my time if I need to. So sometimes it might take 2 hours. Yeah. Um, wow. Depends on the meal. Yeah. 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 And and how does he get his lunch then? So I make enough. Okay. And then I pack it the night before and then yeah, the leftovers he takes to and work. And then he, he heats it at work. Yeah, he and heats, heats it at it. work. Yeah, that's, that's smart. Yeah. Yeah. So you basically don't cook three different dishes in one day. It, no. It would just have to be it's, one and then you spread it out. Yes. Usually just a big dinner. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then we'll eat the leftovers for lunch. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. What was, it, what was that like for you before? You were married or growing up. What was it like for you? Uh, similar. Similar. Yeah. Um, even when I was dating, I lived with a partner. Yeah. Um, at one point, and I lived with one other partner, and pretty much cooked dinner every day. Yeah. And then even on my own, I like to cook as much as possible. It's just usually it's cheaper. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, but half the time I go out to eat and I'm disappointed. <laughs> I'm like, why did I just spend all that money on yeah. something I could have made better? Yeah. Or you know it. I'll have to like take food home and doctor it up. Yeah. So yeah, I'm probably like um, a little bit of a snob in that way about <laughs> food. I mean, it's the same thing when you know like, when you talk about coffee, coffee right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. there are only certain restaurants that I found here that I like, and yeah. then I kind of am a creature of habit. I'll go to the same one. Yeah. Like same with the coffee, I'll go to the same one. Yeah. If I like it. Um, so half the time I get disappointed when I eat out. Yeah. So I've been, you know, cooking since I was a kid. Like I would how say. old were you? Uh, my first memories of being in the kitchen were probably two or three. Wow. And I used what to were bake. You doing? Bake with my grandma. So I have pictures of like me baking That's cookies awesome. with my grandma, and she was a a great baker. She wasn't a great cook, yeah. um, but she did cakes for weddings totally two and different cookies. Things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I really got into baking, uh-huh. and then. Um, in high school, I would bake and kind of like in college, um, I started like, kind of started a baking company. It yeah. was it was more just like 
you know, hey, like buy a dozen, yeah, 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 buy a dozen cupcakes, and I would decorate them with like company logos yeah. or, you know, whatever. Before like, now they have like sugar cookies and really fancy things, yeah. but this was just kind of, yeah, order. This whatever. is high school. Hi, uh, I think this is more college. College. This um, was where was this? In Seattle. Seattle. Okay. So I got really into baking, and then mm -hmm. people would order from me. They would order mm -hmm. cakes and cupcakes, That's and they would awesome. have special designs on them. Wow. So I wasn't really into cooking savory food mm -hmm. at that time. It was like, oh, I just love to bake. Yeah. I didn't really like to eat it. I just yeah. gave it away. Yeah. So like I would just make, I made Wu-Tang cupcakes one time and just gave them all away. Wu-Tang? Yeah. Because I was like, <laughs> I just want to make a Wu cupcake. <laughs> so they were black. Yeah, it's a Wu. Yeah. With a yellow yeah. Wu that's, yeah, that's symbol. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So awesome. I got into baking and yeah. then, and then kind of when when I moved to Thailand was, I guess, when I really got immersed into yeah. cooking. Yeah. And like, oh, I actually need to know this for my livelihood. Yeah. Because I wasn't just cooking for myself anymore. I was cooking for the kids. Mm. Yeah. That's kind of what sparked something in you to yeah. do cooking, not just to, not just for your self-satisfaction, but exactly to serve other people. Yeah. I was always interested yeah. in cooking. Um, I had a scholarship to go to a culinary school, and I turned it down. Ooh. And okay. That's big yeah now in retrospect i'm like should i have gone to school for culinary maybe but yeah you know who knows where life would have yeah. i wouldn't be here probably today yeah. um yeah you would be like at a you know five star <laughs> michelin <laughs> chef no. you know miserable <laughs> miserable <laughs> no um, husband you know because you're just like working cooking managing five restaurants well i'm surprised <laughs> i even have one now <laughs> wow uh, yeah. yeah, so because of it, it kind of became a passion yeah. once I started using it for serving others. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which I, you know, in everyone that's in the cooking industry or doing something, I think it's noble, but the fact that you found that it sparked in you when you moved to Bangkok, mm -hmm. which is, you know, it's like being, I wouldn't consider that Bangkok is a third world country. But just being in a different atmosphere, yeah, you know, and serving the community that way through cooking, I think it's it's amazing. Yeah, I mean, Bangkok is super developed. It's like New York City, you yeah. know, any major city. Um, but I, uh, I think we're transitioning into talking about work yeah. now, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I was, you know, teaching, teaching a lot of these children in my free time. Uh, English lessons and yeah. and they were refugee children mm. um, but they were always always hungry and so pretty much just started cooking with them before their English lesson and then it turned into like weekly cooking lessons mm -hmm. in English because I couldn't speak their language and they you know I needed to teach them in some capacity That's so cool um, and as a byproduct, they would yeah. pick up some English and then they were able to be fed and then learn a little mm. bit about nutrition. But I didn't really know any Thai food yeah. or, you know, not, or really any Lao food, um, which is where my parents are from, Thailand and mm -hmm. Laos. But because this is what they had access to and what they were familiar with, I had yeah. to teach myself these dishes. Yeah. Um, so I kind of like would just ask friends, I would watch people and then call my mom and ask her, go on YouTube, and just kind of taught myself yeah. um, how to cook Thai food. That's awesome. And Lao food, yeah. No culinary degree. Just no. Figured it out, self-thought. Yeah. 
That's awesome. Self-taught and just like yeah. I need to figure, you know, I need to, I need to survive, yeah. um, which is putting meals together sometimes with very mm. little money for myself, but even for them, you know, how can you stretch a meal for a family of five on five bucks, mm. you know? And this was in Bangkok, right? Mm -hmm. And how long were you in Bangkok? Five years. Five years. Yeah. When did you? So you were, you were born and raised in America. Seattle. Seattle. Uh huh. And then how old were you when you then moved to Then I moved to, to New York City. Then you moved to New York City. Yeah. Okay. For about five years. Five years. Okay. And then Bangkok for and then five Bangkok, years. Five years. And now okay. here. Okay. So I'm so old. You're <laughs> <laughs> older than you. Yeah. Older than me. But it seemed like you have this like five year, five year theme that's happening yeah hopefully you, you stay hopefully longer I, don't, <laughs> I get itchy feet yeah <laughs> you know um i think that i would still be in bangkok had it been easier for my husband to secure a job mm. you know so he lived there with me for a year okay um and i wanted to continue to do, to do the work um most of the families that we're working with are in thailand but just visa issues are super complicated. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I was hopping the border for many years. Um, From where? Thailand. So Thailand I would go to... to other countries and they call it visa runs. So basically oh, you go for a couple of days and you cross the border and yeah. you pay money. And yeah. it was starting to be really stressful. Um, yeah. Just emotionally, but you know, financially as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah that was probably not the most stable thing to do but when you're in your 20s and mm -hmm. kind of young and dumb you do whatever you gotta do yeah but you you said you you had a husband so for the last year yeah. in thailand yeah. um, my husband came with me yeah okay and so we were doing long distance for a year okay. and then and then he moved there and tried to get a job and it just didn't really work out okay. so so we came to san diego okay what a journey. Yeah, I hope to stay here longer than five years. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. Um, I feel a little bit more planted now that I have a partner, uh -huh. you know? Yeah. yeah, I mean. It's not they, just about you anymore, yeah. right? That's it's, true, yeah. You gotta mm -hmm. think about the other person. Mm -hmm. That's very true. Uh, it's not yeah. fair to, it's selfish, you yeah. know, to just up and move and live out of a backpack. Yeah, <laughs> that's not to mention, you know, having kids is another thing so, yes <laughs> you know yeah yes what i guess what really moved you to go to san diego out of all the city that's in the world why why san diego because i get why you would move to bangkok because your family right you you, you kind of are you like vietnam vietnam um not thailander vietnamese descent thai and lao thai lao okay yeah so um I guess short answer is because my in-laws were here. Mm -hmm. And so after Bangkok, uh, my husband and I basically had two options where we knew we had space to go, um, that we could live rent-free until we figured it out. And it was either Seattle with my family or San Diego here with his parents. Um, but the company that he was working for, the headquarters were here in Carlsbad. I and see, so yeah. it was like, okay, well, we'll just choose San Diego then. I didn't really want to go back to Seattle. Mm -hmm. um, I love Seattle, but I feel like I've I've outgrown it. Yeah. You know, when you grow up in a place, you yeah, know, you really don't want to be there anymore. Yeah. So, 
So for me, it was like a new start. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, my in-laws. That's, yeah. That's what brought me. Okay. Yeah, which is a, a true valid reason why you <laughs> moved to. It wasn't San any Diego. like prophetic. Yeah. Like, it's like oh wow, uh, San Diego. Calling. Yeah. No. So <laughs> so I got here, and then I you know was like really kind of frustrated like how am I going to continue to do the work like what community you know is there and I'm still looking for that but then I found out that it was one of like the largest refugee resettlement communities in the U.S. that's what I've heard too and I had no idea right and so I was like oh God put me here Mm. you know for a reason like I had no idea yeah and here he is like laughing at me like I I know what's best for you you know I know what I have in store Mm -hmm. for you and yeah. those things are kind of coming to light, but you kind of you got to go through the dark to get to the light. Mm-hmm. And when you were in Bangkok, you were pretty much working with the same environment, right? Refugee children, yeah, yeah. Uh, refugees and women and children that were in and out of the sex work industry, domestic mm-hmm. violence, and and yeah. then I was also teaching full time at an international school because I mm-hmm. needed to make money. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was doing both jobs. How how was that? I was working in that environment, yeah. Which one? Both. Both. Um, So my day job was like Monday through Friday, pretty much like six to six because of the commute. It was crazy. And I um, I was working in international school with all these wealthy Thai and international kids. Um, And it was great. You know, I've always wanted to teach in some capacity. And then I realized that teaching in a classroom in traditional setting is not for me. You know, I Mm. love the kids. I, I love youth. But it just wasn't my thing. Yeah. And um, so I would go to work with these really wealthy kids that had like, they had too many snacks and, and um, eat real food. Yeah. <laughs> like 10 pairs of shoes, you know, yeah. they would bring different change of clothes to school, you wow. know, and just like extravagant. And then I would go home and there's this dichotomy, right? Then these yeah. other kids that I was volunteering with. Yeah. They hadn't even had a full meal for the week. Wow, um, it's a very stark comparison. Yeah. yeah. So sometimes I would take extra supplies or mm. copy, photocopy things at my day job, mm-hmm. um, and bring them home for the kids that I was volunteering with. Mm. And it was just really hard for me, like, to wow. see that contrast and to realize, like, in a city that is still so cheap and food is so plentiful, there are people that are struggling. Yeah. How, um, so, what, so, when you moved to Thailand, were you already married? No. Not yet? No, I was So, single. how'd you, how'd you met your husband now? I like, met him on Instagram. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And I know, it was very random. Yeah. People are like, how did you meet on Instagram? Um, so, yeah, we met on Instagram. I, we had some mutual friends yeah. and and I wasn't looking to date anyone like the reason I kind of like was propelled to move to Thailand was because I had gone through a horrible breakup and was like I'm just gonna go do me right yeah screw everyone yeah um, and then I met him like online before I was even going to Thailand I was in Seattle or New York kind of transitioning out mm. not looking for anything and then we were just yeah. platonic um, just comment here and there, yeah, you know, yeah. no sliding into the DM. Yeah. <laughs> no sliding. <laughs> and then, uh, Keep the boundaries. Yeah. 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 I had no idea anything about him. Yeah. I just yeah. knew he was cute. Yeah. And, uh, so then I moved to Thailand and he had kind of followed my journey mm. for a few months. And then 
and then it started to like go into messaging and like oh hey you're actually really cool like why why haven't we had a conversation yeah so this was like a year a year after a year after okay like platonically just messaging and yeah. then another year passed and then we met in person so two years passed before we met okay and then it was like you know if you love me you gotta come to thailand yeah and he was like i it took him some time but he said i love you and i'm willing to go wherever you're at wow and and i had never met anybody who was willing to accept my lifestyle Mm. and to kind of support it and actually genuinely cared about it yeah um most of the time when I would date people or meet people, they would tell me to just date myself. And they're like, wow. you know, you don't need a man, you don't need this, or like, you got too much going on, or you're mm. doing this and that and the other. Um, and so it was really, it was really difficult. And for a long time I was like, well, I don't care if I ever get married. If I have to wait till I'm a hundred to find the right person, like I'll wait. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and then yeah. by, you know, divinity. Yeah. <laughs> this person who also happened to be Christian, mm-hmm. you know, and beautiful inside and out, mm-hmm. just fell into my inbox. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On Instagram. Yeah. That's yeah. I yeah. So many stories that I know that you know they met somebody on Instagram. Yeah. And they're happy and it's when you're not yeah. when you're not looking. I think it you're happens. Not expecting, yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's the best way. You know, just to be yeah. friends. Yeah. And just let it organically happen. Okay. What was it? Did it made it easier for you to do what you were doing in Bangkok, that that he was there in your life? Yeah, of course. Um, so, so I was in Bangkok, and and I tried to explain this to people before. It's like you can be really happy, but also very lonely at the same time. Being in Bangkok. Or in just general, doing what you're doing. I think in general, mm. you know, like even as an entrepreneur, it's like, yeah, you're happy doing what you're doing, but then you're also isolated, right? So there's like happiness and loneliness can go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. So I was working like with my, my co-founder and at the end of the day, like he would go home to his wife or his fiance, you know, mm-hmm. the kids that I was working at with at the end of the day, they go home with their families and I would just go home to an empty condo by myself. Mm. And I was like, I love what I'm doing. I love the city. I had a church community. I had, mm. you know, these amazing kids that I was, was feeling fulfilled from. Um, but I wasn't, I was lonely because I didn't really have anybody to share that with. Mm. And it was really hard to explain my work to like friends and family back home because when you're not there, you're not seeing it firsthand. Yeah. You know, how do you tell someone like, oh, I just went to visit kids in the detention center today. I just went into the red light district today to mm. to rescue some kids that were tra- you know trafficked. How wow. do you explain that to people? Yeah. You know, and and without not having every conversation be a downer. You know, when I called home like a lot of times my friends and family didn't want to hear about my work because mm. it was kind of depressing. You know. Yeah. Um but he just he wanted to know everything and he didn't care and he was like, "Well, if you're going to be in the jails, then I'll be right there with you." Wow. If you're going to be in the red light district and in the slums, I'll be right there with you. I yeah. was like, where did you come from? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is, you know, amazing. That was, that was amazing. Yeah. Man, it's, I've, I've been hearing, I've been hearing a lot of stuff. I mean, this was from way back about red light district is kind of notorious for sex trafficking and all that kind of stuff. And 
did you ever saw yourself getting into that? I mean, I'm trying to connect it because you love cooking. Yeah. And you end up being in that situation yeah. where you have to save children, where you have to do something that risks, risking your life, you know? I had no idea. Yeah. No idea. Um, so I, when I moved to Bangkok, I was really naive. I was like, oh, I'm just going to go and, you know, teach English and find a job and yeah. it'll be great. Right. Yeah. Um, it was very um, first world American privileged kind of... Uh, attitude mm. so I got there um, so I lived with the host family for a few months because I really wanted to like immerse myself into Thai culture and not live like this foreigner lifestyle Western yeah, yeah. Um, and then I started applying for jobs because I wanted to stay and so I had you know money saved up for a few months and yeah and I kept getting rejection after rejection after rejection and it wasn't necessarily because of not being qualified it was because i was asian oh, an asian in asia an wow. asian american in asia okay so i would get doors slammed on me i would okay. get um people just not even returning my phone call everybody asks you for a photo when you send a resume yeah um on job descriptions they would say looking for blonde hair brown hair Caucasian, you know, European, British, whatever. And this is in Asia? This is in They're Thailand. are looking for those. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, and I'd go to an interview and they'd be like, oh, I'm looking for Christy. I'm like, yeah, I'm Christy. Well, but you're not white. And I said, no, I never said I was. And I said, well, when parents look at you, they're going to think that you're Thai and think that you don't know how to teach their children English. So... Oh, pretty much sorry we can't offer you the I job see. okay so they would give somebody else who had no experience who was not a native english speaker the job over me just because of the way i looked um so that was really difficult and then finally you know i had an employer he was singaporean and he said hey i know what it's like to be an asian here working in and, and he was willing to give me a chance um wow. but then yeah so then i met uh my friend Dwight, who, who was also an American, mm -hmm. and he's a black American living in Thailand, mm -hmm. and he kind of understood that, that plight and that struggle yeah. um, of not being a white Westerner. Mm -hmm. And he was like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm working with all these, these families, and I'm helping them with food and, and English and kind of shelter. You, you know, you said you want to get involved. Like, go meet with the families. If you're still interested afterward, give me a call. And that's kind of how it started. Yeah. And I had no idea who he was working with, really what it entailed. You yeah. know, I just thought like, oh, I, I can, you know, teach. Um, I can kind of cook. I didn't yeah. really have any idea what I was going to get into. And that's, wow. you know, I ended up at a safe house for women that were trafficked and in the sex work industry. Wow. That's bizarre. Yeah. Um, and it changed my life. That's crazy. Did was he part of any organization in in Thailand? Or? No, not really. He started his own, um, okay. and because he was frustrated, uh, the Thai government is not the greatest, mm. and uh, there's a lot of corruption, and um, they don't recognize refugees. So. Yeah. 
you know, there are a lot of parallels to here and mm -hmm. everywhere else in the world. Yeah. But people will escape there, um, or if you're poor and they're, you know, they're super classist, or there's a lot of colorism, just kind of everything. Yeah. Um, but so he was helping these families because he was frustrated that the churches and a lot of the agencies that were meant to be helping weren't helping. Mm. And and then I got involved and I was like, yeah, this is messed up. Like, you know, why are they not helping? The UN is here, right? Yeah. All these agencies, this church and says that we're supporting, but then the church would give them, you know, expired food and rice and um, and so it was really, really frustrating and really sad because, you know, it's not that I look down on um, ministry at all, but people would come to us and say, oh, we really respect your, you know, your, your ministry. Mm. And, um, and let's, you know, we want to be part of your missions or whatever, you know, lingo they were using, but we've never been supported by a church or a government or anybody other than ourselves and our own personal friends and donations from just, you know, uh, kind of word of mouth. Yeah. Private donations. Yeah. And the reason we started was because of the frustration that churches and agencies weren't helping and doing their part. Yeah. Everybody's strapped, you know? Mm -hmm. You're in a nonprofit. Everyone's mm -hmm. strapped for cash. Um, but it, but we, I also have to like shed light on the fact that these people weren't doing, you know, or couldn't do what they were yeah. you're, supposed to do. You're fighting an uphill battle, and at the same time, you're trying to pull people exactly from the pit, and it's you're trying to fight different wars. Yeah, it's yeah. like, do I, you know, do I go against this, and 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 do I speak on this? Well, you know, you're a great institution, but you know, there are flaws in everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we just so Dwight was throwing parties to raise money for these families. Mm. And then, uh, and I came along and I started cooking with the kids and then, and then we started hosting pop-ups. And mm. so I would host, um, I used to host open mic nights a lot in Seattle and New York. And um, so I kind of started hosting like open mics and art shows and mm -hmm. pop-ups. Mm -hmm. You know, I know that's something that you, you've talked about wanting to yeah. do. And we would raise money that way to, mm -hmm. to help the families. That being said, this is what birth, birthed, I assume, what birth, birthed yeah. Courageous Kitchen. Can you tell more about like, how hard was that from, from being in Bangkok to starting that? Did you ever, did you actually started that in Bangkok? Or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so uh, we, it was kind of organic. I, mm -hmm. I would say, you know, we were starting to do this thing and then we kind of teamed up with restaurants and chefs and um, we just host different events. Um, so Dwight's old organization was called In Search of Sinook, which means In Search of Fun or Joy. And then Courageous Kitchen was kind of like my food project, right? Mm -hmm. My cooking project. And the response to the cooking and the food and the pop-ups, um, that's what we became known for in Bangkok. So we're getting wow. a lot of media, a lot of press. Wow. Um, and so it kind of, we kind of rebranded and said, hey, like, you know, it's a little bit easier to talk about refugees and women that are in the sex work industry and 
um, victims of abuse mm. if we have food. We just bring people to the table. So true. At the end of the day, you know, like everyone needs to eat. Food is a universal language. So yes. if we can feed people and love people and bring them together, raise awareness, have a conversation, break those barriers, mm. that heals, you know, more than handing out a pamphlet, right? Yeah. Um, because yeah. a lot of times we just need to talk, you know, we just need to have that conversation. Mm -hmm. And so the response was so great with the food mm -hmm. that that's, so we rebranded and then really um, got aggressive with with the cooking classes. And so we started teaching cooking classes for the families and then uh, kind of legalized everything in the US. So we became a 501c3. Mm -hmm. And then we started hosting cooking classes on Airbnb. Mm. And, yeah. and so there's a thing called Airbnb Experiences, which yeah. I believe pilot was uh, Southeast Asia or Asia was like their pilot, right? So somebody from Airbnb contacted us and they said, hey, you know, we see what you're doing. It's a social enterprise. Um, do you want to be on our platform? And we were like, we have no idea what you're talking about. You know, we've never heard of Airbnb experiences. We've never formalized anything. We've never taught to adults. Mm. We don't even have the equipment. Yeah. You know, we're just teaching informally in the kid's house or our house. And so we're like, well, why not? You know, um, we had kind of capped our organic growth, right? Mm -hmm. we, there's only so much you can ask for donations and do pop-ups yeah. and yeah. half the time you spend more money than you make. That's true. So we got on this platform that probably took about six months to like kind of gain some traction. Um, but now we have four experiences in Bangkok, I believe, and That's two awesome. here in San Diego. And we're the only social impact in Bangkok um, and like only one of like 400 in the world. And wow. so what that means is because we're a charity and it's a social enterprise, Airbnb doesn't take a cut from us. Mm. So um, yeah, everything goes to the charity. That's and awesome. that way we're able to fund our programs. Mm -hmm. and, and to date we're employing um, three young women. Mm -hmm. And so they're the ones who get kitchen training and English mm -hmm. training, they get one-on-one mentorship, and they get room and board, and they get a full mm -hmm. salary. And they're able wow. to work awesome. and provide um, for their families. Wow. Yeah. It seemed like you've already answered your why. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I have lots of whys. Yeah. You know? What is like the, because, I mean, you've, the five years being in Bangkok mm -hmm. definitely fleshed out the things that you never thought you would be doing. Yeah. You know, and maybe at the time, did you think that you had a why? Or were you kind of just like cruising along? I just love cooking. I just want to teach. My why was, um, I just want to serve. Mm. in any capacity yeah I didn't know how I didn't know through food through teaching yeah. through through what but um, I wanted to serve and I wanted to know where my family came from mm. and I realized that there were all these parallels and I felt like I had was coming full circle because my mm. parents were refugees uh, okay my parents escaped from Laos mm. and were sponsored by a family two families to go to Seattle, Washington, which is how I came to be. Yeah, see, you, you experienced what they experienced in certain degrees. Yeah. Um, mm. And my mom was like, you know, what the hell are you doing? Like, this is, 
you're going back to what we escaped from. Why would you do that? And especially for no money, you know. Yeah. But for me, it was like, um, yeah, if somebody helped my family at one point, you know, why wouldn't I do the same for others? Yeah. In whatever way, you know, and, and time is money. So it doesn't have mm -hmm. to be like, oh, I, I need to have X amount of money in the bank before I can volunteer. No, time yeah. is more valuable. Mm -hmm. People just I want agree. the connection, you know. Yeah. And so uh, I had no idea. I just knew my why was I wanted to serve and I wanted to know about my history. Mm. And then I feel like, you know, God or the universe or whoever put me in this place to work with refugees, mm -hmm. to work with women um, and, and work with children. Mm. And those were, were populations that I was passionate about. You know, I have, um, growing up with my grandparents, like we were taking refugee families to church. We'd pick them up every Sunday and, and drop them off. And, and this was just part of my normal life. Yeah. I was going to the courthouse with them and getting their citizenship papers when I was three years old. And I had no idea. Wow. So I, f I found out a lot of these things once I started doing the work. Mm. I found out family stories that I didn't know about. I met family members that I had no idea existed. Mm. Um, but I had to be ready yeah. and open to it and, and wanting to know my why. You know, because there's a lot of times where we push it down. Yeah. And I think we're born with our power and our passion. We just mm -hmm. have to call it forward. Yeah. So it was always there. Yeah. When did you think that actually, was there a day, a year, or that moment where, oh, this is it? That you felt like you were going to cling on it and embrace that why for as long as you can with your life? Was Probably there a, second year into Thailand. Second year? Yeah. Um, when I found a, a community. Mm. When I got really comfortable with the families, um, I found a church, I found friends. Mm. Um, er everything was there except for the husband. Yeah. <laughs> and then he came along. Yeah. Yeah. So now for me, it's not so much the why, it's the how. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So the how, how is that, how is that panning out now? In San Diego, it's been a little tough. Um, so I've, I've kind of met with different agencies and different um, people who are working in the in the refugee community and it hasn't been as receptive as I would like it to be um, even even making friends and kind of finding a church community hasn't been as easy I would say as other cities I've lived in you know in in New York um, it was pretty easy People take the train and it's a great equalizer. You know, here everybody's separated by highway. And and the diversity's here, but the neighborhoods don't necessarily reflect the integration of it or people don't really integrate well. Um, mm. So I found that there's a big separation here and it's, I've kind of been trying to knock on doors and not very many are opening. Um, so the how is still an everyday, like, is it that I'm going to, you know, partner with another org that's already doing some work? Um, is it that I'm going to do it through a church? Is it that I get my own space, you know? Um, yeah. But I'm not going to stop. Mm. So right now I'm just kind of doing it all on my own and, and bootstrapping and figuring it out, which, which is what I did in Thailand, you know, is very grassroots. Yeah. But yeah. just because people are saying no or 
or the opportunity is not there, it's up to me to create it yeah. and find it. Because you, you've seen so much injustice yeah. back there that you just can't be silent about it because that kind of injustice doesn't just happen in Thailand. No, it happens everywhere. And in San Diego, it's... We're, and we're 20 minutes from the border. It's pretty big. Yeah. yeah, so I work with a family here. They were recently resettled from Uganda. Mm. And I've been working with them for a year. Um, and just, I feel like I'm learning all of the systems over again because I was navigating in Asia and in Thailand where things were different, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, some things you could just pay X amount of money for and you're fine. And then here it's like, you know, everything, there's... There's a system. There's a system. You have to follow it. Because yeah. the government's accountable. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I don't like to follow systems. <laughs> Not other people's. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. But, yeah. This is... So I'm learning. You know, yeah. everyday learning, unlearning, relearning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you were to choose between... This might be kind of a... Not fair to ask this question, but I asked this because I know that it seemed like there was so much that happened to you in Bangkok. But if you were to choose, would you stay in Bangkok or would you try to replicate what you did and, and really fight for it here in San Diego? That's hard. Um, you know, a large part of my heart is in Bangkok. Mm. And I say that because the families that I was working with, which there were probably serving about 400 people. Yeah. Um, the families are all there. And so I got really close to them and it was hard for me to leave that and yeah. to still feel connected with not being physically there. Yeah. But there are a lot of things that are backwards about living in Asia, mm. you know? So part of me is like, okay, I'm here now, let's make the most of it and let's try to kind of recreate and, mm-hmm. and grow it because I know that scaling here is more feasible than in Bangkok. It is. Um, yeah. yeah, more access to capital, yeah. you know. Um, more open, the government is more open. Yeah. Uh, people are more willing to be involved and mm-hmm. might be easier to find a support system. So, yeah. you know, the plan is to grow it here. Yeah. Yeah, and I bet that's, you know, it's been a difficult journey for you as far as what you vocalized. You mentioned that even though San Diego is a very diverse city, it still feels disconnected in Mm -hmm. some way. You know, North has its own thing. East County has its own thing. Greater San Diego has its own thing. Mm -hmm. South Bay has its own thing that, honestly, I've been finding out that South Bay is so rich in communities and culture. Um, And I've never even been there. Yeah, so... um, I don't know where to go. You know, yeah. it's like, do I just go drive into these neighborhoods and then, hey, yeah. welcome me. Yeah. You know, yeah. it doesn't really work like that. Was it like that in, in Bangkok? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because I would go mostly to places where there were expats, which is, you know, foreigner mm. working there. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, Thai people were pretty open as well. But like, because expats, a lot of us are traveling by ourselves or, you know, in couples, like, we don't have our family there. We don't have our support system. So everybody just kind of is a community and that's awesome. And comes together. Yeah. Uh, because we that's all we have, you know. Mm. So you see the same people and then you just form a you know group of friends. Even in, in living in Brooklyn, um, 
it was more of a community. Mm. You know, because you walk and you take the train, you see the same people, you go to the same store. I think if I lived in a more walking, you know, walking um, distance, place. walking distance of things, some you know, in a neighborhood that was a little bit more accessible, my experience would be different. That's true. Um, however, yeah. yeah, the the neighborhoods that I found here that are walkable are not very diverse. Mm. So, what do you choose? You know, my yeah. husband and I are we're interracial couple of color yeah um yeah and so that is a reality for us wherever we live we were afraid to come back to the u.s mm. you know my husband's a black man yeah um and black man in america's you know is the most feared thing right now yeah and so the reality of you know him we were at the store you know i'm not going to say the city but it was mm-hmm. 10 minutes from here mm-hmm. and somebody said something to him in Rite Aid. And it's just an, an everyday thing for him, which is really uh, sad. Yeah. You know, so I, I worry about raising kids in America. You know, they're going to be mixed kids. Um, mm. That's that's our reality, you mm-hmm. know, and it's something that I'm conscious of every day, but more conscious of it because of who my husband is. Yeah. It's very interesting that, you know, so many things happen in I bet in so many parts of the world in terms of discrimination and you've experienced sort of a discrimination in being in Asia yep. which is very interesting and then you, you know being here you still you still get Experience. discriminated yeah. so wherever you go there's some sort of a injustice happening and you know and if you were to choose between the two San Diego or Bangkok it seemed like Bangkok always has your heart mm-hmm but then you're here, you know? Have you ever asked yourself, why am I why here? here? It you know? took me, um, I would say six months to even want to leave my house when I first came back, mm. you know? And, and it was like a little bit of PTSD, I guess. Mm. Just like being back in America, you know? And being in this country that I, I say was, was built by us, but it wasn't built for us, you know? Like we're we're deporting immigrants and refugees every single day, um, killing them, locking them up. You know, mm. there's yeah, there's injustice everywhere. There's tragedy everywhere, um, and that's a lot of weight to bear. That is, yeah. But I also know that if I can affect change, even if it's small change, no matter what city I'm in or no matter what place I'm in then I'm going to try my damnedest to do it. Yeah. And a lot of times it gets met with resistance. You know, I've mm-hmm. had people tell me like, hey, like, you seem really cool, but this is too much for me right now. Like, I can't talk about this. Mm-hmm. And um, I have this thing where I think it's like a blessing and a curse, but sometimes I dig deep and it's, it might be too deep for people. I'm not saying that I'm like, you know, super genius, but it's like, if you tell me something, I'm going to press. I'm going to say, why? Well, why? Well, why is that? How is that? Okay, then what can we do? You know, um, I think it's very pe- easy for people to just sit idly by and watch the world with rose-colored lenses. And yeah. and there are certain people that have privileges that can do that. You know, yeah. I have to recognize my privilege every day. Um, but do I feel more comfortable in Asia? Yes. You know, would I love to be there if systems were easier? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. 
would my husband love to be there? Yeah. We can have amazing quality of life for a fraction of the price. Yeah. And not walk around in fear. That's crazy. But then the refugee families walk around in fear every day. They're in mm -hmm. Bangkok. The only difference is I have a passport and they don't. And I can hop the plane and leave. Yeah. That's so if you ask them, yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy because it seemed like as you talk about these things, you, I always want to say like, you're supposed to be in Bangkok right now. Mm. You know, you're supposed to be there. But I'm, I'm trying to, I guess like, understand kind of the unfairness of how Western culture and even America has become an unsafe place for everybody. Mm -hmm. And it's called a land of opportunity. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm an immigrant. Mm -hmm. So I've never actually vocalized and talked about, you know, how hard it was for me to be an immigrant. I, I barely talk about it, you know, but thinking of, you're not even an immigrant. <laughs> I mean, you're born and raised here and and it felt like you had a PTSD coming back as if yeah. you were an immigrant. Yeah. To even ask the why in every journey that we go through life and every pit stops and stopping point, I think it's very essential, mm -hmm. you know, because then we, we start to realize that we're, we weren't just placed in, in a city or we weren't just given a job just so we can watch the world, world idly just crumble before us because there are so many things happening around us that we don't even see. And the fact that you were placed in Bangkok opened your eyes that it's actually happening around us. Yeah. And we can't just be so naive that, oh yeah, I live in America. I have a great life, it's awesome. You know, nobody needs my help. I just need to help myself. And how many people can say that though? Maybe the 1%? Yeah. The ones who, you know, who don't need change or don't want it. Yeah. Maybe they're, they're the ones, but I think that, yeah, I mean, I encourage everybody to question everything. Yeah. You know, um, and to, the reason why I travel so much is just to kind of escape. Mm. And, and sometimes it's, it is a lot, you know, so I just need to, I reward myself with travel. Like, I'm just going to get away for a few days. Yeah. That's my self-care. Um, but... I, I also feel like I'm here for a reason, you know, and maybe that hasn't come to fruition yet. Yeah. You know, there are some days where it's like, oh, I'm super excited to be here. And then, mm -hmm. you know, I have an event or a, a client or meet, meet this family. And then other days like, oh, I just wish I could go back to Bangkok. Yeah. Um, but I know that, like I mentioned earlier, it's not just me anymore. It's mm -hmm. not just what I want anymore. You know, yeah. it's what's best for the future of my family. Mm -hmm. um, what's best for my mental and physical health. And, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, maybe that the work comes secondary to that. You know, I, I know that mentally and physically I wasn't in the healthiest place living in Bangkok. Because I was focused on so many other people and not myself. And instead of 
you know, I, I kind of had said like, oh, I'm just going to throw myself into this work and it's going to heal all my problems and I'm just going to forget about, you know, um, my issues. Mm-hmm. But that's not the case. You're just suppressing your issues. Mm. You know, you're not dealing with it. Yeah. And so I had to come home and I had to confront all those things and deal with it. And like, why am I feeling this loneliness and not feeling fulfilled just because I'm not physically in Bangkok anymore? Mm. that's not something that has anything to do with my geographical location that's something to do with inside of me right and I had to really dig deep and and I'm doing the work and you know still try to do the work every day but um, this has been a really much needed conversation for me good same thank you thanks for listening yeah (laughs) you know and it was always looking for things and people and places to fulfill that void Mm. in me and now it's like oh I need to remember who I was before the work before the moves before before Bangkok all of these things that you know these external things right yeah wow Wow, I learned so much about you (laughs) (laughs) yeah because when I met you almost like more you know more than more than a year ago I would say all I knew is that you were doing you're doing this amazing thing where you teach kids internationally and and here teach them how to cook and you love cooking and whatnot and then there's a story behind that that was so rich and yet it was so deep cut and it was so heavy Mm. you know and i'm sitting here and i'm all about i mean i have so much that i wanted to say and i wanted to share because i'm all about injustice but i feel like i'm not in a place to talk about that Mm. but hearing somebody that has been in it it was just very enlightening for me. But so, I, yeah. I think it's okay to talk about it. Yeah. You know, if it matters to you, yeah. then talk about it. Yeah. Because if you don't, then who will? Right? I think that's why you're here in San Diego. <laughs> right. And so I yeah. go into these spaces where I'm like, yeah. okay, there's nobody else that looks like me. Right? Mm. Um, nobody else that is serving the community that looks like the community that they work in. Mm-hmm. Right? But if I don't, then who will? Even though it's frustrating and hard and you might be the only one, you know? Yeah. Because, you know, you got to fight. Mm-hmm. Fight the good fight. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate this. And I know this is not going to be the last conversation we're going to have. And even even off air, like, definitely. Yeah. We got to do, we got yeah. to collaborate. Yeah. Do something together. Yeah. This has been a really much needed conversation for me. Good. Same. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Thank you.